Hi everyone. I'm Jeff. Damn it, Jeff. <laughs> That's Don. Damn it, Don. And we want to welcome you to DGG Presents. We're your two favorite damn good games creators and game masters. And in this podcast series, we're going to go over damn good games content, creations, and some tabletop RPG tips and tricks to improve the whole gaming experience. So sit back, grab a drink, and enjoy. Yar. Uh, hi, everybody. Welcome back to this installment of DGG Presents. And we're going to do our first installment of player tips. Yep, just the player tip. <laughs> We've done a few DM tips already and some stuff for our West Marches game. But, you know, we also have some plans to throw out some ones like this for tips for players. Now, what we're going to kind of focus on here to start with is just ways to kind of create and play your character so the first thing that a lot of people stray away from and are afraid of and fear are low ability scores now when i say low ability scores i'm not talking like 10 or 11 where you have a plus zero modifier i'm talking under that ability modifier is actually a negative and as don likes to say i'm going to take a phrase here from don is these are a fucking gift. Yep, absolutely. Now, I did not believe that at first. I was one of those like, no, why would you want a negative score? I mean, a low score is fine, but a negative score? Like, how is that a gift? How is that fun? And then I created my very first Marches character in one of our playtest games. Yep. And I... (laughs) use hardcore mode, right? Yep, I used the optional rule we're using for this game where you roll your stats and you take them in order and you have to have two 15s. So my first one was strength, 16. My second one was dexterity, I shit you not, (laughs) 5. My third one, constitution, another 16. So right there, I'm stuck with these rolls in hardcore mode. Yep. So that 5 stays because I've got two other ability scores already that are above 15. And then, you know, I got like a 10 intelligence and then I rolled like a 15 or 16 for wisdom and charisma. So I had pretty decent overall stats, just had this one dexterity stat that was so low. My first instinct is, okay, what can I do to counteract this negative? You know, I'm like, okay, I'm locked into a fighter or something that wears heavy armor so I can make sure my dexterity modifier doesn't come into play. And uh, what I ended up doing is I settled on the Toro race because of their natural AC. Yep. Which meant my armor class was 17 without any armor, and I also was not allowed to wear armor. So that got rid of that negative dexterity modifier to my armor class. But then I started thinking, it's like, okay, I got rid of the armor class thing, which was, you know, one of the glaring issues. You know, what can I do with this? And I had to think about making a character around this and why they had this low dexterity score but you know we're still able to go around and this character became one of my favorite ones i ever played and it was out of necessity i never would have chosen a character with a five dexterity score or a five in probably anything right in but being forced to do it got those creative juices flowing and trying to make it make sense you know like okay low dexterity score do they have a lingering injury that happened Are they just slow to move around? If 
But, you know, I had to pounce that because, yeah, I have a five dexterity, but I still have a 30 foot movement speed. So obviously they can still get around. So maybe there's a ling- there was a lingering injury that if you kind of watch them move, you can see. But they have since learned to adapt to it and were able to move at a normal speed with everyone else. Yeah. So just those low ability scores, no matter what stat they're in, can be really great. I mean, a, lot, a very common dump stat for a lot of people would be to do something like that in intelligence. Yeah, definitely. And there's nothing wrong with that. And you can create some fun interactions with that. I mean, there's a reason Grog from Critical Role is such a popular character with people. Yep. He's kind of like the party's golden retriever in a lot of respects. But these low ability scores can really create a better, fully fleshed out character if that happens. Yeah, absolutely. So you shouldn't stray away from it. Instead, lean into it. Yeah. Figure out why that ability score is low and what you can do with that. I mean, what what else do you got, Don? I would say that I think it's a really cool exercise, even if you're not playing in our marches game, to make a character using that combination where you roll your 4d6 like your standard stat rolls, and you only keep a set if there's two 15s, but you also roll them in order and see what character you make and play that in the next game or one shot you do because... It'll give you a chance to really lean into some of those low scores. And intentionally, if you don't get a low score, drop one of them to a 7, 8, 9, or even a 5 or a 6. And try to explain that in your character's background. Maybe they're a blacksmith and they got burned. Or maybe they're an urchin and their constitution's low because their whole life they've been malnutritioned. I mean... There's a lot of things you can do in that for low ability scores that you can build background elements to. And so when you're building your character with those ability scores, really lean into think of, thinking about not only their class, but their background and how did that influence their character's choices. Because in my opinion, in every literary story or anything, it's not the the attributes that are strength in characters that make them interesting, but it's the weaknesses they have to overcome. Like if you're in the generation of me and Jeff, one of the big, big things that was popular in the nineties was Dragonlance novels and mm-hmm. Raceland, Raceland Magier, one of the most prominent D and D figures and PC wizards that exist probably would have been a wizard, wizard multi-class into warlock at the time, but nowadays, But back then, he had, like, a 4 or a 3 in Constitution. There were cases where when he gained levels, he actually lost hit points back in 2nd edition. So, I mean, but Raceland is probably one of the most memorable Dragonlance characters of all time. And a big part of that was him overcoming his own illness. And so you have to lean into those things if you want to make a truly memorable character because it's not the strengths of your character that people are going to remember. They're going to remember this failure or this thing that your character is constantly struggling with. And another example is, let's say you have a negative modifier in your charisma score. Maybe that's because, we'll jump back to that blacksmith Don suggested, maybe he got burned. Maybe it was really bad burns all over his face and he's disfigured and scarred and part you know he has a low charisma score because of that because people just you know don't want to look at him they're just disgusted because of disfigurement that leads to a low charisma and you know some poor social interactions that you have to find a way around or maybe your low charisma score is just that your character and i think a lot of people out there are actually going to connect with this one 
maybe your character is just really socially awkward. Yeah. I mean, maybe they've been totally isolated. Yeah, they've been isolated entire lives, or they just, you know, they get anxious in large groups of people, and they don't know how to, and they don't know how to act. That's a very common thing, and that's a low charisma score. Yep. Could be tied into something like that. Yeah. Now, along with these low charisma scores, is especially in D and D fifth edition, each character has a flaw as part of their character traits, right, Dom? Yes, absolutely. And these get overlooked a lot of times because they're kind of baked into your background or they're like, these are the ones we uh, offer to for you to select. My suggestion is take the time to go through and dig into some other background flaws. Look through like Xanathar's, look through the player's handbook and look at the whole gamut of all of the flaws that exist there and write your own. Because if you used one of the baked in ones, while well, it's a good place for new players to start, Take it and edit it. Change things about it that are relevant to your character, maybe even to some of their negative ability scores. When you do that, you're going to tie in a whole brand new spectrum to your character that when you start playing, it's going to feel more natural. Yeah. Now, one thing you're going to hear Don and I talk about a lot in our different podcasts is whether you're a player or DM or whatever you're doing is communication. Yep. So, like, if you're looking, creating your character and the flaws you can choose from, as Don mentioned, just don't seem to fit or it's nothing you want to take, there's nothing that says you can't create your own or take one from a different background. You know, if you're unsure what to do, talk to your DM. Be like, well, I see my flaw as this and talk to your DM and they'd be like, okay, that can substitute. That's fine. And, you know, if you're having a hard time thinking of a flaw, a flaw does not have to be something that affects you mechanically in game. Nope. Either. It just makes a more well-rounded, fleshed-out character. Like, if you have a character with, let's go back to that low charisma, and they're socially socially awkward, maybe that is their flaw. They clam up and they can't communicate well in large groups. Yeah. Now, that might have a mechanical effect in certain specific situations in a game. Like, you know, you're going to be socially awkward talking in front of a crowd for some reason. But that also leaves the opportunity for another member of the party to step up and to have the spotlight for that moment. Yeah, absolutely. Or maybe, you know, character interaction for them to kind of save you from that situation. (laughs) Yeah. So these flaws don't have to be, you know, they can be simple, they can be in-depth, but they don't have to be, you know, you don't have to find something that's going to affect you in-game and have to worry about, okay, I have to find something that's going to make sure this comes out somewhere in the game and that's going to suck because I'm not effective at this point in the game. It doesn't have to be that big of a flaw. Nope. You know, it can be something as simple as, you know, I bite my nails when I'm nervous. That's a flaw. Yep, but one of those things is going to be memorable to all of the other characters because it's different than your just normal, standard, I am this character with no apparent flaws or characterization. Because flaws are just meant to make your character interesting. Yeah, you know, Don said this before with the low ability scores too, is, you know, we've also just lean into it. Lean into your flaw a little bit. I mean, I guarantee you, if you think about any character from any sort of fiction whether it's fantasy whether it's sci-fi whether it's you know a romantic comedy whatever you're into think about a character that you really liked or connected with in some fashion they had some sort of a flaw right they weren't perfect there wasn't nothing wrong with them they had a flaw of some kind or maybe even multiple flaws and that's what made them memorable and that's what made them relatable not being perfect but being flawed yeah perfection actually breaks the suspension of disbelief so the more you can make your character human by embracing your flaws, the more fun everybody else is going to have at the table, too. Now, what this kind of leads us into is another topic for players, 
which is RP or role play. So these flaws and low ability scores can give you some really interesting stuff to role play. Yes. If, it's, if that's something you're not really comfortable with or not experienced with, and you're not sure how it goes, that's okay. Yep. This can give you a way to go into it, you know, instead of, you know, role playing a basic situation, maybe, okay, your characters meet in a crowded, loud tavern, and your character has this social anxiety thing, so they're just really quiet and reserved. That's role playing. It is. I mean, what, what do you got to add here, Don? Well, one thing you can do, especially if you're used to uh, other games that aren't quite like D&D, and D&D is kind of like, I would say it's probably where everybody kind of starts in tabletop RPGs. For A good tip for players is start in third person. Instead of role-playing exactly what your character's doing, just start describing what they're doing, saying... Hey, my character Torvac, the ranger, is sitting in the corner, and you can obviously tell by the way he's looking at the floor that he's uncomfortable in this social situation. That's all you gotta say. Everybody else in the room knows exactly the mannerisms in their mind what Torvac is doing at that point. And you can do that with any character flaw. You can say Torvac is biting his nails and looking around anxiously because he doesn't obviously want to be here. And one of the other party members might approach you and say, Hey, you want to go somewhere quieter? And all of a sudden you're role-playing. That's all you have to do to start and kicking it off. Don't, yeah. don't be afraid to be awkward. Because at first, everybody's going to be like, Torvac says, sure, yeah. And everybody's going to be like, okay, okay, we get this. All right, we're getting into this. When you're a new player in a new group, everybody's still, still trying to figure each other out. So don't worry if the first session or two is a little awkward. You got you to gotta kind of find a feel that. You gotta feel, find that place with each character and each player, and feeling that out can be rough. And you know, if you're with a group that's more experienced in RP and you're not, that third person way is perfectly fine. Like, don't yep. feel, don't feel bad or like less of a player or worse of a player because someone else has a strength that you don't have nope. or experience that you don't have somewhere. That third person way is perfectly fine. If you're not sure how to role play this character in the first person. There's nothing wrong with that. You can still have fun. It can still add to the story and add to the you know interactions between the party to do that in third person. And then the more you do that, you'll get more comfortable and maybe you can dip your toes into the first person stuff occasionally. Yeah, absolutely. You, you got to start somewhere and it's okay to start small. You don't have to dump and in, jump into the deep end right away. You know, you don't have to be critical role for no. instance. Nobody is critical role, but critical role, not even places like... You know, what is it? Acquisitions Incorporated. They're not critical role. Everybody has their own style. One thing I would suggest if you're a new player joining a new group, though, is during session zero, bring up the level of RP that is typical to that DM's game, because that'll kind of give you a benchmark of what all the other players are doing. You, know, you don't have to dive into that, but it will give you kind of a set of expectations. Yeah, you know, just have expectations. The biggest point of all this is just to have fun yeah get get an escape from reality be someone else for a bit play someone else whatever it is you know the end goal is to have a good time you're so trying. do whatever you need to do to do that yep you're you're with a bunch of people that are trying to collaboratively tell a story to escape and have a great time on an epic journey or you know a gritty journey i mean it's it's really up to that you know session zero conversation <laughs> So the next thing we're going to talk about with player tips dealing with some of this is something called min-maxing. Now, this may be a term you're familiar with, maybe you're not. But essentially, this is 
making the most out of your character. The choices you make at character creation and when you level are made to be the most effective you can be mechanically. Yes. And that also means potentially sacrificing things that don't come up often, like uh, skills that affects either social interaction or anything else. Hence the term min-maxing. Min-maxing is optimizing your character for combat and using everything else as kind of a dump stat. And, you know, that could also include not necessarily just maximizing your character for combat, but maximizing your character for a specific thing. Yeah, a specific thing. And that can be fun. If that's what you like to do, okay, nothing wrong with that. But the only the only thing the only negative to that is you are going to be kind of one dimensional. Yes. If you're mid for combat, you're going to be real effective and really efficient in combat. But what does this character do when they're not in combat? Yeah, you're gonna. A lot of min maxers do really great in a theoretical sense, and they're they're pretty decent for one shots. But if you have an elongated campaign, you're going to get really frustrated with your min-max character after the first few levels because they're going to be really good at one set of situations. And if that situation doesn't come up, you're going to be struggling in every other aspect because you're over-specialized. So take that into consideration. And one thing that can do is that can make it hard for you to connect with the rest of the game. Yep. It can cause disengagement because you're like, okay, well, I got nothing to do at this point, so I'm just going to play on my phone. And that's a quick way to cause issues. Yeah, or just not be engaged with the game and misinformation or slow the game down because you're asking someone to repeat something because you missed it because you weren't engaged. Yep, that happens. Um, Another thing we're going to go over is just optimization kind of in general now. Now, min-maxing and optimization can kind of go hand-in-hand, but they can also be a different thing. So the thing with optimization is you're going to see people that make themselves very effective at certain things, and that's okay. The biggest thing about, you know, optimization and min-maxing, another player's fun isn't wrong. Yeah, so one of the things that optimizers, or a lot of people call them the tactician, the tactical player, is what they'll do in combat is they'll start dictating to other players what they think is the tactically optimal thing. And that, as a player, is a boundary you probably shouldn't cross. I'm just giving you fair warning. I know that this can be a real pet peeve for tactical players, but if you see other people doing suboptimal things, just remember that in real life, the people you work with and the people you deal with on a day-to-day basis do suboptimal things all the time because they don't have a top-down view. So it's just one of those facts of life that as an optimization or optimizer type person, you're going to have to accept that there is a boundary where you can optimize your actions, but you should probably take into account the proclivities of the rest of the party when you do so. Yeah, now, like, if a party member is, or, you know, in or out of character is asking for help or assistance, by all means, give them a suggestion. Yeah. What Don was kind of focusing on, it's one it clear what Don was focusing on is, you know, those people that just jump in and be like, no, you shouldn't do that because that's not the best thing you can do. You should yep. do this instead. You know, if you're one of those people, sometimes it just has less fun in the game or, you know, maybe you're not finding a group every so often, you know, I don't want to make you feel bad, but look in the mirror a little bit. <laughs> no, it's true, though. I mean, you have to remember that your rights as a player end where other players' needs begin and where their boundaries begin. Your freedoms end where their rights begin is kind of what I was trying to say. But I said that backwards because I'm me. Yeah. 
who are you, Don? <laughs> there are a lot of, you know, not just in D&D, but in other systems too, there are a lot of specialties, skills, feats, spells, abilities that are only good in like maybe a very specific situation. And maybe that's not something that's good in combat. Maybe it's not good in dungeon delving or infiltration or social interactions. But when you take it or use it in that one situation, it's really effective. Mm -hmm. And that's what some people do. They build a character that does certain things well, and that's what they want because that's the character they're building. And that can make, as you know, kind of a theme you're seeing here in this podcast, a more well-rounded, relatable character in the end. Yes. You know, because that's... That's gonna, it's going to be a lot easier to do role play or to play in a game or be this character if you can make them relatable. Maybe they're not relatable to you exactly, but if they're more, if there's something that people, someone that people can attach themselves to or see themselves in, it's going to help with immersion completely. Now, I know some people play this game to get away from reality and play something completely different that's not them at all. I've done that. <laughs> I think we all do. And, you know, you can still make a relatable character that is not who you are or anything that you are at all. Yep. You just have to pick one element. All right. So I think this is going to end this player tips episode about, you know, character creation, flaws, ability scores, and that sort of thing. You got anything else you want to send the people out with, Don? Yeah. One thing you really need to think about when you're creating or thinking about your character is that the experience around the table, even if you're trying to make a solitary character, is going to be a collaborative experience. So make sure that you bake in the concept that you're going to be working together as a party from square one. Even if that means you're an anti-hero and you're only there by convenience, make sure that you find a way to be collaborative with the other players because it is a collaborative storytelling game. Yeah, that's really going to bring the whole party together. Even if you don't agree on a lot of things, even if the characters are, you know, diametric opposites and don't agree on anything, yep. be, you know, doing these things can still make it a more relatable and fun experience because everybody is still playing together. Yep. Even if they're not necessarily working together well in game, you're still playing together and it creates better immersion and a better overall game. You got to put the function in the dysfunction. All right. Well, that's it for us. Damn it, Don. <laughs> Damn it, Jeff. <laughs> See you later, everybody. Yep. Stay legend. <laughs>